there's something about uh, music itself, but, um, but when it's done skillfully, uh, as we experience from week to week, and especially with these friends from the Sonora Church, Heartstrings, thanks so much for making the trip down here. Um, yeah, there's just something special about the, the gift of music that translates the things that our heart wants to say, but sometimes doesn't have words to say. And so we're thankful for that. Um, happy Sabbath, friends. I hope you've, you've had a, a week full of the blessings of Jesus. And whether or not we've seen those blessings or felt like those blessings were there, I know that Jesus has been walking with us step by step. Um, I don't know if you're sitting next to somebody within reach, but go ahead and just pat their back and let them know that Jesus loves them. <laughs> and that this is his house and he's glad to have you here. Amen. <clears throat> This morning we are concluding our five-part series, Discipleship 101. And uh, you've got a handout there with you in your bulletins. If you don't have a handout, um, you may need to share with the person next to you, or we, we might have some deacons be able to, to, to pass those out to you. But you've got one in your bulletin if you didn't get one already. Discipleship 101. We, we've been looking at it, five parts. This is the last of five parts. And I don't know if there's a young preacher who wants to finish it with me. <laughs> Are we looking for daddy and mommy? Well, all right. Let the little children come, Jesus says. Amen? Amen. By the way, I just love the fact that this church loves children. <laughs> and um, I don't know. I don't know if you've been able to enjoy that, but I know my family really appreciates that. So thank you for letting us be on the receiving end of that. And I, I just pray that we would continue to encourage one another and encourage our children um, to keep coming to Jesus. So yeah, we're, we're concluding our five-part series, Discipleship 101, and if you haven't been able to be here this whole time, don't worry, there's a website address just at the top right-hand corner of your handout, uh, parkwood.adventistfaith.org slash podcasts, and you can catch up with, with the sermons that you've missed or whatever it might be, but um, <laughs> this could be really entertaining or it could be really distracting. <laughs> All right, I don't, are we doing laps today? Okay, <laughs> thanks, Karan. Appreciate it. I want us to, to get into the word this morning, and why don't we just bow our heads together as we start. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for little ones. I thank you so much for music. I thank you so much for the little blessings that you shower our days with over and over again. I thank you for your mercies that are new today. And God, you know, probably better than we ourselves, you know that we need your mercy. Some of us have come here with cups that are completely empty, dry, broken. God, please put us back together. Some of us have come with cups that are overflowing, full to the brim, just spilling over into the lives of others. And I pray that you would give us even more. God, wherever we may be with you, I thank you that you've promised to meet with us here. Lord, we want to open up the Bible, not just as a book of wise sayings, but as a way to hear the voice of the living God. What a sacred responsibility to be your spokesperson this morning, God. But I know that your Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, and He will guide us into all truth. 
And so, God, please open our ears to hear what you want us to hear this morning. If there are things that I fumble through, uh, just deafen our ears to those things and cause us to sharpen our focus upon what you are really wanting to penetrate our hearts with this morning. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. And thank you in advance for the ways you're going to change our lives and challenge our lives through this message, we pray. In Jesus' name, let the family say, Amen. Discipleship 101, this morning's message is powerful influence, excuse me, personal influence, powerful impact. Personal influence, powerful impact. We've been looking at the things that make for a disciple. We've been looking for those telltale signs, those trademarks of every true disciple of Jesus, because it's, uh, yeah, we can say that disciples follow Jesus, but what does that look like in the flesh? And so for the last four weeks, we've been looking at different things that have marked what Jesus has done and what Jesus has taught. And any follower of Jesus will do what he did and live what he taught. And so that's what we've been looking at. And today, personal influence, powerful impact, it's, it's essentially the bottom line. It's, it's the summary statement. It's the end result when we start putting into practice the things that we've looked at. So if you just kind of review with me the last four weeks, when, when we start investing ourselves in the discipline of withdrawing to the wilderness... Or when we start investing ourselves in the discipline of the word, immersing ourselves in the word, allowing, us, allowing God to help us live by the word, there's going to be a product. There's going to be an end result. Let's see, what else? We, we, we talked about uh, having the blessing of having nothing. Having this mentality that, you know what? When I'm at my wit's end, that's okay. I can boast in my weaknesses because in my weakness, God's strength is made perfect. And so we looked at the Beatitudes and we saw that there is blessing in having nothing because we're leaning more on God. And then last week we looked at pursuing righteousness in relationships. Uh, the kinds of things that make for righteous relationships, whether it's mercy or purity or peacemaking, whatever those things might be, as Jesus taught there in the Beatitudes. And so when you invest in all these things, when you start adopting these things in your life, as you're seeking to follow Jesus day by day, guess what's going to happen? you and I are going to have a personal influence on others. You and I are going to actually live lives of powerful impact. Some of us don't believe it. <laughs> You're looking at me with blank stares. What? What? <laughs> Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. I want us to go there in Matthew chapter 5. Now remember what Jesus is saying. We read this already for our scripture. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. But I want us to just kind of get a little bit of a runway here. As we're going into Matthew chapter 5, you remember that Jesus starts this Sermon on the Mount with these, uh, I guess, head-scratching truisms, these head-turning head blessings. What is Jesus talking about? He's turning value, the values of culture upside down. And towards the end of, the, of these Beatitudes, look at verse 10. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And we're supposed to be happy about that? Right? Well, the reason is at the end of verse 10, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. So when we're pursuing righteousness in relationships, when we're really seeking to follow God, it may not win the applause of every man. No. It may even with attract and draw uh, their resistance, repulsion even. And he gets even further, verse 11, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, 
For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, if you're there in Jesus' audience, remember, you're, you're wanting to possess the kingdom of heaven. You're wanting to be a follower of Jesus. So you're sitting there, you're listening. Okay, so what does it take to be a follower of Jesus? What does it take to really inherit the kingdom of heaven? And suddenly Jesus starts rounding it out with, well, you're going to be persecuted as you seek the kingdom of heaven. Naturally, maybe, maybe I'm the only one, I don't know. But naturally, I'm going to be thinking in self-preservation mode. I'm going to be thinking, well, okay, if following Jesus means persecution, well, why don't I just become a fly on the wall and I'll follow Jesus in my own little world over here, right? I'll just follow Jesus. I'll, 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 I'll practice the discipline of the wilderness. I'll become a hermit. I'll, you know, I'll just kind of do my own thing without attracting too much negative attention. And so that might be the natural conclusion. And so the very next sentence Jesus goes into is, you are the salt of the earth. So in case anybody is seeking to retreat, in case anybody is saying, okay, I'll be a disciple and I'll be an escape artist, okay? In case anybody's thinking, uh, I, I got this, I, I can... I can totally avoid the resistance. In case anybody else is thinking that, Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The remnant is not called to retreat. It's called to rescue. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. I'm reading from the New King James. Let's keep reading. Verse 14, it says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, if you're like me, maybe there's a little tune already coming to your head, right? This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of... Go ahead and put out your finger if you want. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Amen. All right. Our memories haven't gone too far. All right. But this is a sacred calling. Jesus is laying down something heavy. Something grand something purposeful. And it's a life of every true disciple. I like to call it an unhideable life. A life that cannot be concealed. It cannot be hidden. There's just no getting around it. When you're a true follower of Jesus, it has an impact on other people. And people take notice. So here we go. We're going to go through this handout. We're going to go through a simple study because as I read these four simple verses, I see Jesus hitting on a lot of different things. But this morning, I want us to zero in on four essentials, okay? Four essentials of that unhideable life. So take out a pen. Take out a pencil. If you want to take notes on the handout, you're totally welcome. But here we go. Four essentials to the unhideable life. Are you ready? The first one. The first one. There's a present reality. You can write that in. Present reality. Notice that when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, he does not say, you will someday be the salt of the earth. 
you will eventually become the light of the world. No, as he's talking to true disciples, he says, this is what you are now. It's a present reality. It's an objective reality. It's not a hope to strive for. It's who you and I are. So a present reality, Jesus describes, going on in the handout, Jesus describes what true disciples currently are, not what they eventually will be. Jesus is describing, when he's saying, you're the salt, you're the light, he's describing a reality that is about today. Not tomorrow, not someday. It's today. Now some of us are like, what? (laughs) I sure don't feel like the light of the world. (laughs) I sure don't feel like I'm giving much flavor to people around me. But whether or not you see it, Jesus is saying it. And I would rather trust Jesus' word than my feeling about things. Is it possible that Jesus sees something in you and me that we don't? And he's calling it out. He's saying, this is who you really are when you choose to follow Jesus. Your salt, your light. It's a present reality. Any definition of what a disciple is that doesn't include those things is another version of Christianity that is not biblical. Okay? And so this is it. The the choice to be a disciple is simply a choice to be salt. The choice to follow Jesus is a choice to be the light. It's a present reality. All right, number one, present reality. Number two, universal functionality. I know, four-syllable word, is it? Oh, five syllables. Ah, You can do this. Universal functionality. You can write it in. Universal functionality. Because the metaphors of salt and light, it actually says something about our function. It says something about our role. And you can underline those last three words there in the sentence, about our role in the world. It's about our role in the world. Jesus doesn't say, you're the salt just of Modesto. You're the salt or the light of the world just in your living room or your classroom. You know, while those things are included, there's something much grander, something much bigger. Jesus doesn't exclude anyone from the saving effects of the gospel. And he wants his people to realize that there's no boundaries to my impact. When I'm following Jesus, there's no, there's no limitations. Jesus wants us not just to be the salt here, but everywhere. Okay? Not, just, not just on a Sabbath morning when we come together. No, I'm salt every day of the week. I'm light every day of the week, everywhere I am in the week. Yeah, it's a powerful reality. So it's a universal functionality. So, so what are the roles? What, what is it that Jesus is seeking to, to, uh, to inspire us with when he calls us salt and he calls us light? You know, Peggy was talking about salt uh, having a flavoring effect, and it's true. It's true. Salt has a very uh, uh, potent impact upon our food. Amen? Uh, Maybe maybe we realize it when there's no salt (laughs) in the food, or when there's too much salt. But, but, you know, the the functions of salt are many. Um, There's even not just a flavoring function, but there's even a, a fertilizing function, I'm told. Uh, that salt actually is used in agrarian settings, agriculture. It actually fertilizes and gives health to, to, uh, to the soil. But I'm thinking about one particular function that was probably on the forefront of the minds of Jesus' hearers that day. Jesus' audience realized that when they went home, there was no refrigerator to open and close. Do y- you realize that? Yeah? So if they needed to preserve anything, it was not the function of Kenmore or Whirlpool, okay? 
It was the function of an everyday substance called salt. Salt has a function to preserve. In other words, it stops the process of decay and putrefaction. So you can write that in. Uh, one, one of the functions there is preservation. It's arresting and not reflecting the moral decay in the world. Catch this. When Jesus calls us salt, he's calling us to be agents of preservation. That means when we're in the world, we're not of the world. He doesn't call true disciples to go with the flow. He calls us to stop the flow because that flow is heading towards death and destruction. There's a world that is spinning out of control. And Jesus says, they need help. You are salt. There's a preservation role there. And when he calls us light, when he calls us light, there's an illumination that takes place. So there, the, the functions of salt is, is to preserve. The function of, of light is to illuminate. And, and when we're talking about illuminating the world, when, when Jesus says, you and I are the light of the world, have you ever heard that phrase anywhere else in Scripture? Light of the world. Who else is the light of the world? Jesus, right? John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. John chapter 1, uh, you know, that prologue to the gospel, it says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. You know, Jesus really is the ultimate light of the world. So any little bit that we have to shine, it's because guess who is living out his life in me? Yeah. Yeah, we can have a little light, but it's not because we like, worked our way to find that flame. It's not because we use sticks and stones to spark things into existence. No, it's because Christ himself is living out his life in us. And so when we are, are truly the light of the world, when Jesus says, hey, you're going to fulfill a function, he's saying, you're going to be me in your sphere of influence. You're going to be the extension of my hands and feet. You're going to be the spokesperson of my words. You're going to be the reflection of my character. Whoa. <laughs> now that is a big deal to me. <laughs> he says you're going to stop the moral decay that is taking place in society all around us. And you're going to illuminate people to the reality of who God is. That's a beautiful thing. And the reality is that Jesus is throwing us into the world. He's saying the world is on its path to destruction. And you are going to be my agents to reverse it. You're going to be my agents to save. Again, this is not a fly-on-the-wall type of discipleship. All right, This is not, a, 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 let me sit on my rock and, and just wait until the Lord comes because I just can't handle what's going on down there. No, no, that's not the kind of Christianity that Jesus calls us to. Yes, we want to sing about the sweet by and by, but each of us has an individual accountability. Spirit of Prophecy says each of us has an individual accountability that is to make the world better. Period. Wow. Jesus is giving us a mission here. It's a sacred calling. So we've got two things so far about the unhideable life, two essentials, present reality, 
Number two, universal functionality. Number three, it's that third box bullet there. Negative possibility. Negative possibility. Let's just read the paragraph that immediately follows. It says this. While Jesus describes what is necessarily true about our identity and role in the world, it is still possible to spoil and thus refuse that divine calling. Go back to Matthew chapter 5 with me. You're there, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. The first phrase, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus lays out the identity. He lays out the reality. He lays out that functionality right there. You are the salt of the earth. But in the rest of the lines, notice what he's really emphasizing. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Then what's going to happen? Who's going to be the salt for the salt? Okay, Jesus is saying, hey, there, there's, something, there's something to really consider here. It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. In other words, Jesus is alerting us to the fact, he's saying to those who are salt, he's saying, wait, wait, I know this is a present reality. You may not necessarily feel like you're salt. This is how it is. But if you accept this call to be salt, realize that there is a possibility of becoming unsalty. There is a possibility of actually losing our punch and our potency. And then he says, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. In other words, Jesus is saying, okay, you're the salt of the earth, but there's a possibility of losing your saltiness. You're the light of the world, but there's a possibility of people trying to extinguish your light. Remember, we were talking a little bit. Jesus was just saying, hey, you're, you're going to expect persecution. You're going to expect resistance and things like that. But I would suggest that the threats to our light, the th those things that threat to obscure or extinguish what little light we have, they're not just external threats. They're things that we provide ourselves. We have our own baskets that we sometimes put on our lights. We have our own little bushels that need to be removed. And so let's think about this a little bit. Uh, go with me to Luke chapter 14. You, you see those verses, Mark chapter 9, verses 49 to 50. And Luke chapter 14, verse 34. Let's go to Luke chapter 14. So hold a finger here in Matthew chapter 5 and go to Luke chapter 14. Just two books to the right. Luke chapter 14. We're going to look at the end of Luke 14. Luke chapter 14. When you're there, say amen. amen. All right. Luke chapter 14. Sometimes, sometimes it's really helpful, especially when you're studying the Gospels. It's really helpful to see how a particular story is worded or said in another one of the Gospels. So in Matthew chapter 5, we're reading about salt of the earth, light of the world, etc. What's interesting is that in Luke 14, it's, it's repeating the teaching of Jesus about the salt of the earth, but it's putting that teaching in a different context. So let's see it. Luke chapter 14. Now towards the end, starting in verse uh, 25, 26, Jesus is laying down some very serious things about what it takes to be a disciple. He's saying, hey, if you want to follow me, uh, you've got to put me above every other earthly relationship. He says it's so strong to say that if you follow me, you've got to hate, I mean, figuratively, he's saying, you've got to prioritize me. You've got to hate your mother, hate your brother, hate your sister, because if you're really following me, I'm the only leader. Right. Have you ever tried playing follow the leader before? Yeah, you only pick one leader, right? 
Because if you had 17 of them, I, for some reason I keep using the number 17. Anyways, if you have several of them, you're going to be split in different directions. So Jesus talks about the cost of discipleship, uh, verse 27, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Continuing on, verse 28, 29, etc., he's talking about considering what it really costs, what it costs to follow Jesus. And then finally in verse 33, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake some... Okay, let's read it again. This is Luke chapter 14, verse 33. So, likewise, whoever of you does not forsake 95% of what he has, my Bible says all. Whoever of you does not forsake all. Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. And then notice the next two verses. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? He's talking about forsaking all. And if you haven't, you're not worthy to be my disciple. What happens when salt loses its flavor? So you think about this. As Luke sees the teaching about being the salt of the earth, he's putting it in the context of forsaking all. And so there in your handout, you can write it in. We forfeit our saltiness when we cling to what ought to be left behind. We forfeit our punch, our potency, our power and ability to flavor and season other people's lives, our ability to stop the process of moral decay in other people's lives when we ourselves are allowing moral decay in our lives. When we ourselves are cherishing sin, are hanging on to it, are are clinging to those things that ought to have been left at the foot of the cross. And so we forfeit our saltiness when we cling to what ought to be left behind. Go just a few chapters earlier to Luke chapter 11. Let's see another place where, where Luke includes the teaching about Jesus, uh, excuse me, Jesus teaching about the light. When you're in Luke chapter 11, verse 33, go ahead and say, I am there. All right. Luke chapter 11, verse 33. Notice this, you know, because I was, I was asking myself, you know, how, how is it that we lose our saltiness? And apparently Luke sees it, it's we lose our saltiness when we cling to things that aren't going to help, <laughs> when, when we cling to things that ought to have been left behind. And how do we lose our, our ability to, to give light? Well, notice here this, this teaching in Luke 11. It says, no one, excuse me, Luke 11, verse 33. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it on a, in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is, my Bible says good. What does your Bible say? When your eye is, does anybody have a different version there? Okay. Maybe your Bible says when your eye is healthy. Maybe your Bible says when your eye is single, your whole body is full of light. But what happens when your eye is bad? But when your eye is bad, and what, what, what word do you have there? Evil? What other words? Darkness? Okay. When your eye is darkness, when your eye is evil, when your eye is bad, my Bible says, your body also is full of darkness. Now, Jesus is, 
is, is, is carrying a metaphor here. He's talking about the eye of our lives, the, the things that we focus on, the things that we zero in on, the things that we allow our hearts and minds to really be set and dwell upon. And he says, if your eye is good, or as the King James says, single, literally, it's talking about fold, a single fold. Uh, it's the antonym of a double fold. So when your eye is basically moving in one avenue, then your whole life is going to be full of light. But the opposite is also true. When your affection, attention, and hearts and minds are split, then your lives are full of darkness. I think of it like this. I don't know if this is an appropriate uh, analogy, but this is, this is the phrase that comes to mind. Our lives are a walking billboard. The things that we zero in on, the things that our hearts are set on, are written upon and reflected upon that billboard. So when we live our lives, we're a walking, bil- we're a walking advertisement. Now, if we've been fixed on Jesus, guess what our billboard is going to be communicating? only Jesus. But if we've been fixed on Jesus and, fixed on Jesus and, then guess how many messages are on that billboard? It's a mixed message. It's a confusing message. And it ends up extinguishing the light. Jesus is giving us something very serious to consider. You can write it in. We extinguish our light when the focus of our lives is not wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, is not wholly fixed on Jesus. Because when we have a divided focus, we've got a divided heart. And when we have a divided heart, we have a divided witness. That's what Jesus is saying. So when he says, you're the salt of the earth, when he says, you're the light of the world, Yes, this is the reality. Yes, this is present time. Yes, you have a specific function, a divine calling, but there is the possibility of losing saltiness. There is a possibility of extinguishing, and maybe even, we should say, obscuring the light of who God is. Go back to Matthew chapter 5 with me. This is a heavy message, yeah? (laughs) I hope it's challenging in in an inspiring sort of way. Because I want to be a true disciple. I want to know. I want to know what he's really calling me to and what he's calling for my life. We're in Matthew chapter 5 again. We've looked at three essentials, the present reality, the universal functionality, negative possibility, and the fourth is this one, serious responsibility. Serious responsibility. You can write it in there. And this is what clued me into it. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, Jesus does not say, you are a salt of the earth. You are a light in the world. Do you realize that Jesus says, you're the salt. You're the light. What does that imply? (laughs) What does that imply about the role that disciples play in the world? Say it again. There's no other. You're it. 
Jesus is not playing a game of tag. <laughs> He's just saying, you're my game plan. I was the salt of the earth. I personally came and I preserved the moral destruction that this, that this planet was headed to. I went in, I dove straight in, and I became the light of the world. But now that I'm gone, you're it. That's a serious responsibility. The rest of the handout says, if we are Christ's chosen agents of salvation to the world, there is no plan B. Amen. What in the world? <laughs> Could God limit himself in that way? Do you realize that God needs humanity to reach humanity? Amen. Let me say that again. God actually needs humanity to reach humanity. That's why Jesus didn't just show a hologram of himself from heaven to this world, saying, hey, look, I love you this much, really, really, and if I were there, I would probably be on a cross. No! Jesus needs humanity to reach humanity. That's why the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. <laughs> oh, man. And now that he's ascended to heaven, he's given his followers, disciples, a very real commission. Be the extension of my hands and feet because you're my only option. Someone once said, or someone, actually I heard someone pray this prayer yesterday. No, on Thursday. He said, God, is it possible that you trust us more than we often trust you? God is trusting you and me with being salt and light. Let me read this paragraph here. It's written in your handout. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, page 40. The Church of Christ, every individual disciple of the Master. Oh, did you catch that? Every individual disciple of the Master. Not just the televangelist, not, not just the preacher, not just you know, the general conference president or who it is. Every individual disciple of the Master is heaven's appointed channel for the revelation of God to men. Amen. Wow. Now notice this. Angels of glory wait to communicate through you heaven's light and power to souls that are ready to perish. Do you ever wonder what it's like to be an angel? I mean, yeah, when, when we think about it, I'm thinking, ooh, flying would be awesome, yeah. No, do you ever wonder what, it, what they're thinking when they look upon you and I, when, when they uh, look upon uh, the pews at Parkwood Church, when they look in our homes, do you ever wonder? This is telling us that angels, when they see you, they're thinking to themselves, oh man, I just can't wait. I, I've got a message to bear through this individual to that person. And I just can't wait to get it through them. God did not entrust the work of the gospel to angels. He could have. And it would have been a lot more effective. <laughs> would have gone a lot more quick. But Jesus entrusted it to me and to you. Feeble, frail humans. Why? Because there are other feeble, frail humans that need to see the power of the gospel in human flesh. 
Keep reading. Angels of glory wait to communicate through you heaven's light and power to souls that are ready to perish. Oh, man. Shall the human agent fail of accomplishing his or her appointed work? Oh, then to that degree is the world robbed of the promised influence of the Holy Spirit. Oh. Now, the the point of sharing this isn't to guilt trip us (laughs) into being salt and light. It's just to help us be aware that God has given us a responsibility and he's not looking anywhere else. He's not looking to rocks. (laughs) Although rocks could cry out, Jesus says, right? He's not looking to trees. Yes, he has written his love on flowers and trees. You know, he's, he's written messages of love around us in creation. But look, he's looking for humans to reach humans. It's an appointed work. And angels are just on edge waiting to communicate light and life through you and me. Wow. It's a present reality. There's universal functionality. There's also a negative possibility. We need to understand that. But it's a serious and sacred responsibility. That's the unhideable life. That's a life of personal influence. It's a life of personal, powerful impact. So now what? <laughs> what do we do now? As we walk out these doors, as we drive away from this lot, how is the world going to be different because of you and I? Now what? You know, I've got two things down there, but before we even get to that, let me just say this. The first thing is, will you own it? If Jesus says you're salt, Jesus says you're light, are you going to own that identity? Are you going to own that responsibility? I pray so, because if you don't, who will? Will we own it? And if we will... If you're going to say, if you're by faith saying, yes, Jesus, I want to be a follower. I don't want any other definition of disciple that excludes being salt and light. Then that means you're being thrown into the world to be a saving agent. Hallelujah. (laughs) Because there's someone, someones, that can only be reached through you. Some of us may not believe that today. But God has designed it so. Wow. That's heavy to me. And sometimes, I'll be honest, there are modes in my life where my attention is drawn elsewhere that I would rather ignore this call in my life. But God is still calling us to be salt and light. (laughs) So today I want to own it again. I want to, yes, 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 I am salt, I am light. You are salt, you are light. So what does it take? What does it take? Now what? What can we do? Two suggestions. First one there in the handout, remove the roadblocks. Remove the roadblocks. You can put other hindrances there. Maybe you want to name a specific one. Uh, Remove whatever it is that would neutralize our impact. Those things we we were talking about, uh, those things that ought to have been left behind that are taking away our punch and our potency as salt. Remove those those bushels that we're placing on our own light. Remove those baskets that that are covering the character of God. Remove those things that we're allowing the eye of our life to reflect on and be reflected through the walking billboard of our lives. Let's remove it. 
excise it surgically, supernaturally. Let the Holy Spirit give us something new. So remove the roadblocks. Pray for it. Ask God to do a miracle. And guess what? He's able. (laughs) He's in the business. He's in the business of giving us new hearts and lives. So number one, remove the roadblocks that would neutralize our impact. And here's the second one. Come close to people. Come close to people and let your light shine. You can fill that in. There's two, two significant things there I want us to kind of catch. The reality is that no matter how salty I am, no matter how zeroed in on Jesus I am, no matter how often I withdraw to the wilderness, no matter how deeply I'm invested in the discipline of the word, no matter how much I pursue righteousness in relationships, if I am salt in a salt shaker, I will do the world no good unless I come in contact with people. Salt an inch away from the food is doing nothing for that food. (laughs) And so it's about coming close. It's about building bridges. It's about loving people. Now, there are introverts in this room who are recoiling at that. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying that you need to befriend every person in the world. Some sanguines in here would be all about that, high-fiving everybody at the mall, okay? And that's God has given you that temperament. God has given you that personality. Be salty. Amen. Okay. Now, here's the thing. For those of us who are more on the introverted side of things, who who really, like, it takes tons and tons of energy even just to, to make contact with somebody, I tell you what, God can use you as salt in your own introverted way. <laughs> because what I think I know about introverts and extroverts, I myself, I'll just kind of claim this, I'm an introvert, okay? <laughs> I get more, I'm more energized by being in solitude than I am by being around people. <laughs> and this is not to say, okay, I'll just stop right there, okay. Anyways, <laughs> no, here's the thing. What I know about being introverted is that even if I'm an introvert, it doesn't mean I'm completely secluded from the world. You may not have tons of relationships, but you do have some, and they're deep, right? Introverts, they don't build tons and tons of relationships across the board. They build a few, and they run deep. And so God wants to use you as salt, too. He wants to use you as light. So whatever your temperament, whatever your personality, whatever your spiritual giftedness, come close to people. Make contact. If we're supposed to introduce the world to Jesus, we can know Jesus all we can and all we want. But if we're going to introduce them, how can we introduce them to someone we don't know over here? Come close to people. And then that last part, and let your light shine. Notice that the Bible, Jesus doesn't say, Try really, really hard to amp up your lumen power. (laughs) He just says, let it shine. This is who you are. Unleash it. Don't hold it back. Ellen White says it really clear. She says, Jesus doesn't say strive to make your light shine. 
Just let it be so. So let your light shine. Now, I'm a visual person. I like to imagine different things. And as I was studying this, this passage this week, you know, just imagine with me. Imagine, um, imagine either your, your neighborhood or your workplace or your classroom, wherever it is that you normally see people on an everyday basis. Okay? Maybe if you're imagining your neighborhood, maybe you imagine a map, and you can kind of see a satellite image of the different homes. <laughs> you can see their roofs. You can see their backyards or whatever it is. I don't know. Just kind of visualize with it. Now imagine the people in those homes. Imagine the people in those offices where you work. Imagine the, the, the classmates you have in the desks around you, whatever it is. Now imagine yourself as you're going day by day, you're seeing these people, but imagine that you could see something that maybe God sees, okay? Imagine that above every person's head, there's some sort of gauge or measurement that tells you of their spiritual condition. Imagine that you could see a gauge from light to dark, and there are some in your classroom, some in your neighborhood, maybe it's some just across the hallway in your own house, whose light meter is way, way on the shadowy side. Maybe there's another gauge that you can see above their head that, that has something to do with, with their, their spiritual decay or spiritual life. And you're noticing that some are way, way, way down on the dying side than the living side. See, just imagine yourself, whether it's in your neighborhood. I don't know if you're imagining specific faces yet. Maybe you have specific names in mind. But you're seeing these people, and you're actually seeing a gauge that God sees too. Whoa, this person's way empty on the light meter. Whoa, this person is way shriveled up. They're almost all out to death and decay. You're imagining these people, you're imagining their lives. And I imagine that God sees those things too. He reads the heart very well. Now imagine that God looks on you. And he says, wait a minute, I have salt in that neighborhood that can totally reverse the decaying process in that person's life. Wait a minute, I have a light in that classroom that can totally chase away the shadows of darkness in that person's life. And Jesus has positioned us strategically. Maybe you've been in your neighborhood for 25 years. Maybe you've been there for 25 weeks. But God has positioned you purposefully, to be a salt, to be light to the people around there. They just don't know it yet because you haven't come in contact with them yet. That's a classroom that you've been going to all school year long. That kid keeps making kinds of remarks that, that ought to be kept to himself or herself. And now you look at them in a different way because you can see the light meter, you can see that salt meter, and you're 
They need something, and you realize that God has put you there to be what they need. Whoa. You are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Now, I've drawn scenarios for you, yes, but you can draw your own scenarios. You, You know the people that you interact with the kids at the end of the hallway, the spouse on the other side of the bed. In whatever forms of relationships God has entrusted to you, he's calling us to be salt. He's calling us to be light. And I would say, don't limit it to one little sphere. Be the salt of the earth. Be the light of the world. So today, maybe there are names that are coming to you Maybe on the back side of these notes, you just want to start writing down some names that you want to pray that God would help you come close to. In this coming month, you know, we're going to start a new series starting next week. I know some of us may be uh, at the prayer conference next Sabbath, but starting uh, next week, we're going to be going into a three-part series that, uh, that this is a perfect setup for. So I want us to be praying, God, let me be salt. (laughs) Let me be light. Maybe you want to target some specific people this week, or maybe you just want to spend some time in solitude today just saying, God, if there are names, if there are faces, if there are people that I need to build stronger bridges with, please tell me, instruct me, and let me write it down. All right. So, at the end of this kind of a message, Jesus is simply saying what it is. You are it. (laughs) You are it. This morning, I, I, I wonder if you would just, if, if that's a calling that you want to own, if that's a calling you want to see lived out more brightly in your life, would you just kneel with me as we close in prayer? <clears throat> Father in heaven, To be a disciple is sometimes a lot more than we think. And God, this calling of being salt and light is a lot bigger, a lot bigger than we sometimes think. So God, some of us may be responding in different ways. Some of us are feeling the heaviness of it and aren't sure whether this is a calling we want to pursue. But God, you've called us to it and I pray just for faith to own it. Father, maybe there are some of us who are really uh, burdened with specific individuals, specific families that are coming to mind, people that need salt and light in their lives. And Lord, if you're calling us to be that for them, please fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, remove the roadblocks that our punch and our potency would be evident Lord, we don't want to try harder to be lights. We just want to let your light shine. So, light of the world, please dwell in our hearts. Please live out this divine calling in our lives. We're kneeling here in faith, petitioning you for power from your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the assurance that you'll use us Thank you in advance for the ways that we will be changed. Thank you in advance for the lives that will be changed because we're living out your calling. In Jesus' name, 
Let the family say, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.